Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. Um, My guest today is Jules Pfeiffer, who is a uh, lifelong uh, cartoonist uh, who has won awards, Academy Award. He's won a Pulitzer Prize. He's won and uh, he's written books that won awards. He won the George Polk Award for a long time, I think about 15 years now. You had been, you've just retired from teaching at uh, uh, Southampton, uh, Southampton College. Uh, you had a course in, uh, what was the course exactly? It was called Humor and Truth. And it was three hours once a week in which I would assault the students with the uh, my avowed wisdom and get some work out of them and hope they learn something. But I, I certainly learned a lot and it was a wonderful experience, all of which was the responsibility of Roger Rosenblatt, who was the head of the writing program. And all of that was his idea. And I'm forever grateful for him, to, to him for it. I think we all considered you a prize to have come out here to, uh, to do that. And, um, uh, I was particularly uh, curious about the, I know you won the Academy Award for, uh, was it screenwriting? The Academy Award was for an animated cartoon called Monroe. Right. I believe the year was 1956, but I'm not sure. It might have been later than that. And it was based on a short book that I had written about a four-year-old boy who gets drafted into the army by mistake and cannot convince the military that they made mistakes because they don't admit they make mistakes until things get get out of hand. So basically they told him that he had to adjust to the army, which he tried to do until the end of the book when everything becomes clear. And that, that, book was uh, bought by Rembrandt Films and turned into an animated cartoon. And uh, that was what the award was for. George Polk Award, isn't that usually um, awarded for journalists and, and uh, people who have been in dangerous situations in, uh, in wars? Well, and things? The, the George Polk Award was basically and I suppose still is, given to people who deserve awards who aren't getting them from the Pulitzers and, and, and the other award committees because their work is too uh, far out or challenging or whatever. But it, it's, it was a, a prestigious award, vastly appreciated by me and treasured by me. And it was for the cartoons I was doing at the time in the Village Voice, which was then a weekly paper that I appeared in and, and um, said the things that I felt were important to say in regard to our living conditions, whether it had to do with uh, 
our political lives, our personal lives, our parental lives, you know, relationships, whatever, whatever was on my mind, I put in the voice that week in six or eight panels and they ran it. And it seemed to begin to mean a lot to people. It certainly did. It meant a lot to me. I think you you had that cartoon every week for a, almost half a century, or close to it anyway. Well, I guess it was. I think it was about forty-two years it ran in the voice. Yeah. yeah. Until the, they fired me, so they could hire three other guys who, uh, which would for, for the same amount of money. <laughs> well, I also think that what happened after that was they pretty much went out of business because you weren't there anymore. It's a fair explanation of what happened to the. It's actually a voice is still around, but it's a very uh, nominal publication at this point in the city of New York. People will remember it for its uh, and anti-establishment views on a lot of things and uh, local news. And it was a wonderful publication um, that uh, I read every week uh, living in New York for some time. And you also won a Pulitzer Prize. And yes, was about that one. It was much appreciated, and and, and uh, it, it, I loved getting it. I, it's, I don't remember that the year I won it for. I, I remember going back and looking at the work I was given the prize for and thinking I got the prize for this uh, because I didn't think it was one of my great years, but I was happy to get it for any, for any time in any place. I think but the- uh, I, I, I did get it, and I, it was very much appreciated. And it's it's uh, right now. It's far importance is is that it will lead my obituaries. <laughs> well, I think it was for you. I was for a lifetime experience of that that award for much of what you did. I think most people from that era will remember, and certainly uh, I I I do have one cartoon which was so memorable. It's in the forefront of so many people's minds about uh, a young woman dancing and in uh, various uh, forms and it's uh, how did you get how did you start out at uh, becoming a cartoonist I started at a three or three and a half uh, <laughs> it, it was the one thing from the earliest years on that I was fascinated by and wanted to do and dreamed of doing, first on the basis of the newspaper comic strips that were running at the time. My father would come home from work with the newspapers and he would open them up and uh, um, either he or my mother would read to me what Popeye was doing and what uh, the other comic strips were doing at the time. They were all on huge New York Times size pages, not tabloid pages at the time. And there'd be on one page, maybe 15 or 20 horizontal comic strips. And it was magic just to, for, for a kid to look at this stuff and see the variety of different styles and variety of different actions and, and the running and jumping and violence and fun. And, and, um, and I thought that's, that's what I want for my life. I decided a three, and uh, that decision remained intact to this very moment. <laughs> but, uh, speaking of which, um, you were um, in the news with a sensational book, uh, Kill My Mother, uh, about uh-huh. two years ago, a cartoon book. 
And uh, I think- uh, Well, that was very different. It, it, was, it, it was a graphic novel and, it, and, and the technique was, was more illustrative than I had ever done before and less cartoony. It was more realistic and in a darker style. Yes. And there were three volumes published over the over about four or five years. Uh, Norton published them. And uh, it was a great experience and all new to me. And I didn't think I knew how to do this until I did it. I was looking for somebody to illustrate my writing because I couldn't, didn't think I could work in the appropriate style and never found the right person. So I took a shot at it. And that's how that change of career and change of life happened. Well, but it, it's these accidents that yes. I fell into over the, a period of many, many years that moved me from one thing to another thing to another thing. Very few of them were planned to happen as they did. They just, one thing, it was just a case of one thing leading to another. How and I that? was very happy to follow. Uh, give me some, give me an example of that. Well, uh, kill, I would kill my mother is, is, is one of them. They, it was, um, I thought it was something that I would write that somebody that I was not equipped to illustrate. The illustrator I had in mind was not interested in doing it. And uh, so I took a shot at it. And suddenly I was illustrating this book that I didn't have the right style for, I thought. So I developed the style, uh, changed my style to fit the demands of the book and managed to make it work. And I got away with it and did two other volumes. Uh, following because it, it, it was it was planned as a trilogy from the start, uh, and and so it is with the other works. You you start doing something that you think will go in one direction, and you find that it wants the work itself wants to go in another direction. And what I've done my entire career, I learned to do after trying to force my work into into what my head wanted me to do. I gave up what my head wanted me to do and just organically follow the flow of where the work was going. And it took me, the work decided what kind of cartoonist I'd be, what kind of career I'd have and what kind of work I would end up doing. And uh, I shut up and followed. And, and, it, and it continues to be that way. Yes, and um, I know you've lived in uh, East Hampton and, and uh, uh, you. I, I was curious about something. I. You moved to Shelter Island for some time, a uh, number of years there, and uh, I visited you there. And you were right in your backyard, just beyond your backyard was a, an airport, a landing strip of grass. What was that all about? And how often did a plane come in there? We bought this small house under construction at the time uh, on Shelter Island because after looking for some time in the Hamptons and dealing with real estate people who over and over, over again would find us something we liked very, very much, Joan and my wife, Joan and I, we would negotiate what we thought was a deal, agreed on what we thought was a deal and get the papers back that had nothing to do with what we negotiated with <laughs> or negotiated on. And this happened at least four or five times. And finally, we got discouraged with, with dealing with people who had no intention of following through on their, their obligations and uh, thought that Shelter Island might be a, a, a broker suggested to us, Shelter Island. We went out and we saw this house being built. We loved the property. 
and uh, the house was put up. We moved into it uh, when it was finally finished and lived there for, I don't know, five, six. And uh, on the back deck, uh, there, there was a, 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 a table with an umbrella that I, and you looked out on a field, a wide expanse of beautiful field that is still there and which is a, a, a pump, uh, owned by the, the community and it's an airfield for private planes, just tiny little planes that chug in and land and there aren't many of them. And they never got much in the way and every once in a while they did and we negotiated our way through all of that, but, but uh, it was lovely. How often would planes come in and out? They did uh, only on weekends mostly, and because uh, it was a weekend flying, it, it, and uh, and there never were more than three of them. I don't think so. It was not a big deal, and and uh, and it was a lovely expanse. It still is a lovely expanse, and and uh, and the and the lovely people we sold the house to seem to be very pleased with it all. But um, I I walked around there on that one and. I think there was some box where people were supposed to put in money or something. It wasn't, there was no, uh, there was no there there. There was no uh, terminal. Well, well, not having a there there was exactly what we had in mind because (laughs) (laughs) we didn't want, we didn't want another house going up in front of us. And fortunately that was not going to happen because there was a, a town ordinance that, would not allow that. Otherwise, you, builders, builders who who can, who can build anywhere will build anywhere, as you know. So, um, and what are you working on currently? Well, uh, outside, I'm, I'm filling out a contract on a two-book volume, a graphic novel for for middle-level readers called *The Mummy Dimension*. And uh, and working on uh, editing and, cha- and and putting in changes on that now uh, that Harper's is publishing. And since I've been up here, I've been doing a lot of drawings of one kind or another, dances and one sort of another, and, and other things. Just playing around, and experimenting with directions to move in as I move on. I have no idea what I'm going to keep and what I'm going to throw away. I'm just letting things happen organically as I have for many, many years now. Um, I just finished illustrating uh, a book of, 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 of poems and essays and other things by Roger Rosenblatt, who was essentially responsible for bringing me out to the Hamptons in the first place because he started the writing program that, that brought me out at the beginning to, by Jitney once a week to come out Finally, it became my home, and finally, it became my life, and finally, I found a wife. <laughs> I mean, Roger is basically responsible for the last 50, 60 years of my life, and I hold him uh, <laughs> happily responsible for, for all, the, all the great changes that have happened as a result of him. He's a lovely man. He's done a beautiful book, and I was ha- thrilled to illustrate it, and that's the last piece of work I've done. I see. Well, I want to... Thank you for uh, being on the podcast. I want you to uh, give my regards to Joan, to, to your lovely wife, and I hope Thank to see you. you soon. And um, 
Uh, I really enjoy the time I spend with you and I know everyone else down here does as well. So I appreciate this. Very well, much. thank you, Dan. It's good to talk to you and see you almost again. You know, it's, it's seeing the person is better, but this is good enough. And to all my friends in the Hampton area, I salute you. I send you my regards. I spent many, many, many happy and sometimes very confused years there. And, and those friendships continue because I will, be, I will return for visits. You will never be out of my mind by very much at all. Well, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks, thanks again, and uh, I appreciate you being on the show.